Welcome to the 103rd installment of the Unplugged Alpha Series podcast. Uh, joined tonight with my friend, Jonathan Noble, the uh, family lawyer who knows a thing or two about divorce. He's uh, He's been on my channel a few times, so if you guys are uh, my more seasoned audience, have been around for a while, um, it won't be any surprise that he's around, but he's got some uh, hot topics that we were going to uh, deal with. We've been trying to connect, actually, for a couple months now. It's been a few months, right? Yeah, I think January of 2023 was our last go-around, so a lot's yeah. been going on. We've got some things to chop up. Yeah, yeah, we had some travel and summer vacation. I'm actually on a bit of a road trip with some friends today, so uh, I'm trying this from the hotel. It, guys, let me know in the chat if there's any issues with the video or the audio, because I just see what I see on my uh, panel here. So if it happens to uh, suck or lag or anything, I'll you know do the best that I can. But um, I'm committed, man. You know, I do these podcasts on the road. So Jonathan, you got a bunch of. Um, talking points, a bunch of notes that he emailed me, you know, in advance. We're going to be taking some call-ins. Hopefully we have time for it and there's interest for it. So if you guys want to ask a question to a licensed family lawyer uh, about tying the knot, untying the knot, vetting a woman for marriage, anything like in and around those topics, uh, this is your chance to do it for free. You know, lawyers charge a lot of money for their time. And uh, Jonathan's gracious enough to, uh, you know, help contribute to the content on the channel and share what he knows about this sort of stuff. So um, you know, let me grab the link, link actually while we're doing that. So copy. And you're going to want to head over to um, YouTube, by the way, to get that link. So I'll pin it at the top. Call in and ask a question. Re-divorce. So divorce questions only, guys. Nothing outside of that on this show. Uh, we'll keep it on topic. And the link will be there and pinned to the top and I will get the link for the YouTube channel and put that in all chat. So if you're watching this elsewhere on Facebook, Twitter, Twitches, the YouTube, wherever else on any other channel, click that link that I just put there and head over to uh, YouTube to get the join link to for the uh, Q&A part. Jonathan, yeah. kick it off, man. What's been happening? Uh, a lot of things, 2023. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Delighted to be here. Thanks to anybody watching this, either on the live stream or after it's uploaded. Uh, I just want to preface, I'm licensed in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. So if you want specific legal advice, uh, family law varies very widely from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Uh, you could cross the bridge into New Jersey from Pennsylvania, and the law is totally different in some areas. Same thing with the Canadian provinces. Uh, so... Uh, if you have a pressing issue and you want specific legal advice, you need to speak to somebody in your licensed in your jurisdiction with experience. But general questions I could answer, I can give you some insight through my lens as a divorce lawyer. Um, How long have you been practicing law, John? Uh, over twenty, like twenty-four years. Yeah, and prior to that, you were an entrepreneur, so you're also intertwined in the business world as well, too. Yeah, MBA had my own businesses. Uh, it's a different world. I'll tell you, being an entrepreneur beats the hell out of being a divorce lawyer uh, in a lot of ways. I won't yeah. go into all of it right now, but I will say that as an entrepreneur, it, whenever you had a problem with a vendor or a customer, you pick up the phone and call them and you work it out. As a divorce lawyer, if the other side, whether the lawyer or their client is recalcitrant or oppositional, there's nothing you can do. You have to like, slog through the courts for thousands of dollars. So just a little word to the wise. Uh, 
I get joy out of doing both, but being an entrepreneur is pretty special. All right, we're going to talk about 2023, some things that I've seen, uh, changes in divorce law, some things you ought to know about. Now, Florida leads the way so far, two major changes in Florida divorce law in 2023. Uh, the first is no more permanent alimony in Florida. Used to be you're in a long-term marriage and you were slam dunk for permanent alimony for the rest of your life. They abolished that. They still have alimony, but it's different types of alimony, whether it's rehabilitative alimony to get your ex up on her feet or his feet or, uh, you know, bridge the alimony so they can find a place to live, but no more permanent alimony. And that is a huge step in the right direction. If you, so if permanent you really, was until death then. So if he was paying alimony to her when he died, that's when it would stop. If he was paying alimony to her and he died, if her lawyer was smart, they would have had him uh, by court order have a life insurance policy right. uh, for a million dollars at least. So yeah. she would. So even if she put him into the grave and he had a heart attack and died, she's still going to get a payout in case uh, he died quickly after the divorce. So Is this the doing of uh, Governor DeSantis. Well, he has the final say. He could have vetoed it. But it's actually the Florida House of Representatives. And uh, so somebody takes up this cause and says, this is crazy. You know, the constituents are saying, look, we're going to elect you, but we want you to champion this bill in the House of Representatives. So it makes its way all the way through the House. They voted in and it's up to DeSantis to sign the bill or not. And he signed it. So it's mm -hmm. a huge step in the right direction Good. for ambitious people who may have made a mistake or got divorced through no fault of their own or choice and they don't have to pay lifetime alimony anymore so yeah, it seems like it seems like such a bad deal like there's still quite a few states out there where you know you can get married and be married for you know the required period of time as a state outlines uh for lifetime alimony it's like you're continuing to pay for a woman that you're not even intimate with or involved with or receiving any benefit from it's just it's completely absurd, you know, because we have this like modern era of, of, of women and, and feminism. And I don't need no man. A woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. But she's sure is happy as hell to take his, uh, you know, or reap the financial rewards for into perpetuity, really. Right. Yeah. What I see a lot of is uh, even though, so someone that's in their 50s, let's say, and the wife wants she's bored or, you know, she's attracted to the pool boy and. She might have an affair with them or she might find somebody else that she wants to be with. No fault divorce, files for divorce. And then if it's a long term marriage, she could get alimony for years. Yeah. And what if the husband in his 60s or 70s and he wants to retire and he's got to pay this alimony? He's got to go back to court and convince the judge, look, I'm of retirement age. I can't keep paying her and live. So it's a mess. So I'm a big fan of what they did in Florida in terms of no more lifetime alimony. You know, if you, a lot of people, they'll parachute out of a marriage and maybe get millions of dollars in equitable distribution. I, why do they even need alimony at that point? Mm -hmm. You know, it seems to me like it, the system needs to be changed. The whole marriage and alimony system is way out of whack, especially since there's a lot of women in the workplace who make a lot of money too. So 
Is there a is there a website um, that grades the states based on uh, like father friendliness? I know that there's that there's a national that the, there's a national org of parents association or something like that. I had them on about a year year and a half ago, and and they grade it for like um, uh, access to kids and child support um, fairness, but I haven't seen one that grades it overall. You know, as far as like friendliness to men. I don't know of a website that grades it. There's so many criteria. A lot of times it comes down to the specific judge. You could be in the same county and go across the hall to a different judge's courtroom and they have a different view of what's fair. And the problem for a lot of people is judges uh, decisions in family court are subject to the abuse of discretion standard which means that you have the burden to prove that the decision they made was uh, they abused their discretion. Now, there's exceptions to that where the standard is, uh, did they go outside the bounds of the law? But if it's like a child custody decision or an alimony decision, you're going to have a hard time overturning it. You have mm -hmm. to prove by a preponderance of the evidence that you know the decision was just way out of line, and that's hard to do. Okay. But... Um, I did see a website a long time ago where they tried to grade the states regarding uh, men's rights with child custody. And that is a great segue into the next area of law that was changed very recently, mm. again, in the state of Florida. Uh, the state of Florida passed their House Bill 1301. I have a copy of it here. And Oh, you, you froze up on my end. I don't know if, if it's frozen up live on your guys' end. Is he frozen on your end, guys? Uh-oh. Yeah, it looks like it is. Lost him. Jonathan, if you can hear me, I'm going to remove you. Come back in. Just click the link that I've already given you and come back in, and that should fix it. All right, well, hopefully we can get him back, but he's definitely frozen up on my end. I thought it was going to be my end that I would have issues with the um, internet because um, hotels have notoriously unstable internet. So I don't think it's anything to do on my end because this is a browser-based system. Let me just send him a quick message here on DM and see if he gets his. Yeah, it looks like something happened with his internet. Um... <laughs> Must improvise these things. It is what it is. Back in. And by the way, guys, the link to call in and ask a question. I'm sure he'll be back in a moment. The link to call in and ask a question, I um, I pinned at the top of um, the live chat on the YouTube. Yeah, the Matrix is out to get him, maybe. <laughs> you start talking about this stuff, man, and it's like, I, you know, I just wouldn't be surprised. I just would not be surprised. Um, it's just one of those things that just, Bunking wild man. Anyway, um, make sure you guys are uh, sticking around for the uh, ladies' night session. Moff has got a new panel of gals lined up, and uh, you know we'll dive down the rabbit hole of uh, discussion points with the ladies. But um, hopefully, we'll get Jonathan back in in a second here. Join back in. I have a feeling something just happened to his Wi-Fi or his router or something. 
um, here. So I've got I've got his talking notes here. So I'm going to just hope that he gets back in in time. But uh, Florida's new child custody law defaults to 50-50 custody with a rebuttal presumption against it. It's a huge win for dads. Law was sponsored by a 40-year-old woman elected to the Florida House of Representatives, Jenna Parsons Mulikia. Mulikia, I'm probably pronouncing that completely wrong, but that's interesting that a woman tabled this um, law. Um, but if you guys aren't familiar, um, default 50-50 custody is exceptionally uh, rare. Uh, there's only a few places in the West where if you get divorced, it's it's presumed that the children or the child will be with both parents on a 50-50 schedule. Um, the burden of perform, sorry, the burden of proof then becomes on if a parent wants, um, and I might mess this up a little bit, and Jonathan will clarify, you know, when he gets back in, but the parent that wants to be the primary caregiver, the, the custodial parent, basically has to prove uh, that the other parent is essentially a piece of trash. Um, they would have to prove something along the lines that they're a drug dealer, they're a criminal, they're, you know, they're a felon, they uh, traffic, uh, uh, you know, whatever, or maybe even prostitution, you know, might be involved in something like that, but they would have to prove all of these things um, for the 50-50 to be set aside. Jonathan, sorry, man, we lost you. You froze. I don't know if that was your internet. Uh, yeah, I think just for a second. Uh, and I apologize for that. I, I'm not sure what you picked up uh, in my you, absence. You held up the piece of paper and then you froze from there. So I, so I, All right. so I just it, went through your talking points and I sort of tried to explain what, what default shared 50-50 was. Right. Um, so I don't want to be redundant, but the special thing about this bill is it defaults to 50-50 as opposed to places like Pennsylvania where the law says gender shall not uh, it doesn't matter, should not be part of the decision. They take it a step further in Florida now. And they said it's default 50 50 uh, with a rebuttable presumption that it shouldn't be 50 50. That is huge. So if you go to a website and you look at um, uh, father friendly jurisdictions, look at the law itself and read the law. Now, you might think to yourself, what could somebody argue where it wouldn't be 50-50? And one common thing is if the parents live too far apart from each other and the kid uh, goes to a public school, most judges are not going to let the kid sit in too much windshield time. Like if it's an hour to drive them to school every day and back, especially if they're in grade school or middle school, that's a reason where you got to be careful. And it's not based on mileage. You could uh, live in Hoboken, New Jersey and try to get your kid to school in Manhattan. That's only a few miles apart, but they're going to look and see if it's in the best interest of the kid. But if you live in the same school district, and I know in many jurisdictions, Pennsylvania included, that the bus, if your kid goes to a public school and they take the bus, if you live in the same school district or a certain mileage from the school, the bus company has to pick the kid up from the other parent's house on the days that they have custody. So I tell my clients, give the bus company a copy of your custody schedule and let them know that on these days, you're going to pick up the kid from this house and on the other days from the other house. 
Question for you because I was because I was talking about it a bit when your um, screen froze up. Um, would it be reasonable for a parent to argue um, to be the custodial parent or to be the sole sole caregiver in a state where it's default 50-50 like it is in Florida now? Um, prostitution, felony, uh, drug dealer. Like, under what circumstances could a parent say that other parent is a piece of shit and they shouldn't, uh, and we shouldn't have a shared 50 50 uh, schedule aside from distance, you know, with buses and stuff like that? Right. That's a great question. All right. So it's not only the other parent's character, but it's the other parent's new paramour's character, too, in places like Pennsylvania. So there's a list of enumerated offenses that you've either been charged with, if it's the charges are pending, or you've been convicted or pled guilty to. One big one is REAP, R-E-A-P, uh, recklessly endangering another person. That's serious. Anything that has to do with child endangerment, that yeah, you got a, a huge uphill headwind climb. Uh, to convince the court that you should have equally shared custody. You might even, depending upon what the crime was and how long ago, it's going to be tough. Um, anything that has to do with sexual assault, all right? Anything that has to do with domestic violence. That's why false domestic violence charges, you got to fight them. A lot of times people make false accusations and that could affect your custody if you plead guilty or convicted. So any of those kind of violent, um, you know, of course, homicide, murder in the first, second or third degree, you, you have an uphill climb, but you'll still get some visitation, but there's going to have to be a third party there. Usually without a criminal record, the, per, the third party. Uh, I mean, there are guys in prison where they'll take the kid on visitation day to see the parent. So you don't lose all custody and contact unless you don't have any interest. But if you got the right lawyer, you're going to have uh, some contact. And that's physical custody. Legal custody, as it's defined in most jurisdictions that I'm familiar with, is the right to... Oh, crap. And, yeah, and uh, that should always, that's almost always 50 50 in Pennsylvania, uh, unless one person's incarcerated and they can't make those decisions because you can't get to them. So, uh, you should, if you're a parent and you want to be in your child's life and make those decisions, educational decisions, in places like Pennsylvania, they don't just give one parent carte blanche to make all those decisions. Uh, other jurisdictions, yeah. they do. I just want to emphasize the significance and the importance of a default 50-50 uh, parenting plan if you have to untie the knot. Like, I have a friend. He's he's here right now. And I thought that he was recently divorced, right? Like, he's still fighting. And I said to him, it'll get better. And he looked at me with crazy eyes, like, what? Because it's been nine years. He's been fighting for nine years since his kid was basically a, a, a toddler with his ex-wife um, over parenting schedules, custody arrangements, holidays, birthdays, Christmases, you name it. Even to take a couple of days off to meet up with the boys and go for a road trip and just do something fun as a man. He's still fighting on this because in Ontario and Canada, 
you don't have a default 50-50 arrangement like you do in some states now introduced in Florida. It's my opinion and my recommendation to guys that if you are going to get married and tie a knot with somebody and have children, my recommendation is move to a state that is father-friendly with a 50-50 default shared custody plan because it removes one of the most contentious parts of divorce that I've seen happen to most guys in Ontario. That's where most of my friends live. Jonathan, what do you think about that? I think it's a good idea. A lot of times people, though, are tethered. Like if you started a business that's location dependent, yeah, it's big to pick up and move to a state where you don't know anybody and you don't have your support system. Uh, so now Florida just instituted this. Hopefully other states will pick up on it. I know that they looked at this in Pennsylvania about 10 years ago and it was shot down. And I, I disagree with shooting it down. Why? If this person was good enough for you to make a child with, why are they now not good enough for you to be half parent, you know, have them half the time? Now, some jurisdictions, including Pennsylvania, have parent coordinators because the judges just can't take every single little fight that the parents have. So they'll uh, appoint a parenting coordinator and the parents pay this person by the hour. It's a licensed attorney that has training and experience in re resolving these fights because the courts have other things to do, not fight over whether, you know, little Johnny's getting pizza with pepperoni on it or not, you know, yeah. and you can't imagine, or maybe you can, like when people get angry and bitter, they put the kids in the middle and it, it hurts the kids. It's crazy. You know, uh, people just can't get over being a co-parent. Uh, but hopefully your friend, after all these years, eventually the other side will just like either come to their senses or run out of gas or run out of money and say, this isn't working. Because as the kids get older, they're hip to this. You know, they yeah. know what's going on and they know the parents that's stirring the pot all the time, but people don't listen and uh, yeah, they'll burn the. Talk to us about Texas. All right. Texas passed a bill. Uh, Abbott, the governor signed it, went into law on Friday. Uh, basically, they passed a law that went into effect September 1st, 2023, this past Friday, that if you're convicted of drunk driving, and you kill someone who has minor children that's under the 18, under 18 years of age and younger, that you're now on the hook for child support to pay until the child emancipates, which in Texas means turns 18 or graduates from high school, whichever is later. So listen to this hypothetical. Let's say you're driving down the road and someone in their 1978 Chevrolet Vega runs a stop sign, unfortunately, and you slam into them and they die. But your blood alcohol content is over the legal limit. So you're per se driving under the influence. And they have six kids by six different uh, fathers. The way the law is written is you're on the hook to support those six kids until they all emancipate, you'll be devastated financially. So mm -hmm. just another reason not to drive impaired because so many times uh, you could get into an automobile accident and you didn't do anything wrong, 
but you had three beers in an hour and you weigh 175 pounds, you're going to have a, over a 0.08. So you put, you know, you're per se over the limit, even if you're not impaired. Okay. But just that they do the blood draw and, you know, you blow or you blow in a desk top in text, uh, 5,000, uh, over 0.08, you're done. Uh, if you kill somebody, you know, it's going to be vehicular homicide. So the way the law is written in Texas too, the same law, you, uh, you know, you have to start paying when you get discharged from prison, you'll ruin your life. So just another reason not to drive impaired. Uh, and I think other states are going to start following this. Texas also recently passed laws regarding inheritance and overdue child support. So if you're in arrearages and you skip town, you get a big inheritance. Uh, the law is written now that they're going to go after that inheritance before you can spend it or transfer it. Uh, child support arrearages in Pennsylvania uh, sometimes can be reduced if it goes in front of a judge and they find that there's a reason to reduce them. Could be a number of reasons. Up until recently, if you were incarcerated in Pennsylvania and you were paying child support, uh, the arrearages kept accruing even though you were incarcerated. They stopped that because if you were incarcerated for a couple of years, how could you ever catch up with that? So uh, in Texas now, they don't allow child support arrearages to be reduced. So you're on the hook. Another reason to protect yourself. Make sure that the child is yours or don't get anybody pregnant uh, without being sure you want to raise a child with them. Um, child support liens in Texas. Uh, they're going to put a lien on your bank accounts. It used to be 10-year statute of limitations. Now there's no statute of limitations. So if you owe child support, they'll find you eventually. It could take decades, but it never goes away. Another good reason not to father children with someone who you don't plan to co-parent with. Uh, it's a world's biggest mistake. So that's my speech. All right. And then we've got, uh, yeah, we got some red meat with Kevin Costner's divorce too. So, um, oh man, you know, people, people love the celebrity gossip. So lay it on us, man. All right. Costner your insight on the Kevin Costner divorce because he wiped up this younger gal. It looks like they had a few kids. Kevin Costner, you know, he's a, you know, he's a G man. You know, he's the, you know, he's the big guy from Yellowstone. He's an actor, handsome dude. Yeah. Kevin, listen, if you're watching this, I want you to go through entrepreneurs in cars. Look at all the videos, all right? Because you're still a good-looking guy, and you're going to attract a lot of attention, especially with your status. And I have a bad feeling that if you're not careful, the same thing could happen again, all right? Here's the point with the Cosmo divorce. Number one, he had a solid prenup, but in California... In any jurisdiction, you could have the most rock-solid prenup. Even in Pennsylvania, which is a very prenup-friendly jurisdiction, it's they're still going to challenge it. They're still going to say there are people who have a very narrow view that the world owes them something. And they'll find a lawyer that will try to gin up some reason why this prenup should be set aside or modified. What so, was the length of their divorce? Or sorry, what was the length of their marriage? I think like 
quite a long time. I, I don't know exactly, maybe 20 years. Yeah, maybe let me just Google years. it real quick and see uh, how long was Kevin. He's got child, like high school age children with her. 18 years. So, I mean, one of the things that I've learned, I'd love to hear, you know, your uh, take on it from, from experiences, but prenups lose the value that they that they were in, intended to have over time. So as more time passes, circumstances change and it's and it's easier to to like set them aside or to set parts of it aside, right? Uh, okay, that's not 100% accurate in every jurisdiction. Uh so your premise is that prenups lose their uh, ability to withstand judicial scrutiny the longer you've been married. Yeah, so like the you... story that I got, you know, for example, is if you get married with a uh, prenup and then you end up having two or three kids with her, she's a stay-at-home mom, her degree is no longer valid 15 years later, she's been out of the workforce for, you know, a whole bunch of time, then that's typically, from what I understand, um, I mean, this is in Canadian law. This is what my family lawyer told me. But, but that's typically when they'll say, well, you know, her degree in nursing is outdated or no longer valid and she has to upgrade this and she's been out of work for 12 years and she stayed at home and raised the kids. So she needs alimony. Right. In a pl Canada is a special place when it comes to prenuptial agreements. It's a special place in hell when it comes to family law here. Yeah. There are <laughs> things. And I interviewed a family law attorney out of Vancouver uh, for a couple hours on my channel, maybe a year or so ago. And I will write to other family law attorneys in the greater Toronto area occasionally, especially if they're on Instagram. And I'll say, how on earth can this be? And they'll write back and say, it's just the way the law is, Jonathan. So to answer your question, in places like Pennsylvania, no, unless there's a sunset clause in the prenup that says, after five years, this is what you get. After 10 years, this is what you get. After 15 years, the sunset clause kicks in and the prenup is set aside, which is what happened to Chris Rock. All right. So 15 year sunset clause, 16th year, she files for divorce. Everything's wild west. Everything's open. This for is something that can be planned, though, obviously. Like she knows that it's got a 15 year sunset clause. You know, year 13, 14, she's like, I hate this. This sucks or whatever. Talks to a family lawyer. He's like, yeah, you know, if you wait it out a couple more years, you'll get this. You know, like they can plan for this now, right? Right. They can plan for it. Look at Janet Jackson. She married a very wealthy guy. And That's had a crazy a, story. $200 million that she was married to him for five years and yeah, gave him a child. the son and stayed with him for five years. And the payout was huge. $200 million. Wow. I, honestly, I don't know what his net worth is, but if his net worth was like a couple billion with a B, 200 million wasn't such a good deal for her, right? No. So, but it, it was what it was, but he protected himself. She got what she wanted. He got what he wanted. So maybe they both won. I don't know. But to get back to your original question, um, in places like Pennsylvania, it doesn't matter. But if you have a prenuptial agreement and you want to revise it a couple years later and a couple years later than that, after that, yeah, it could really help strengthen the prenup. It's going to be withheld because it was a lot closer to divorce. You know, it's like, well, we got married 20 years ago and I signed a prenup 20 years ago before the wedding. And then 10 years ago, we revised it. Um, so with all those revisions, then 
five years after that, or five years ago, we revised it again. That stands a better chance of withstanding judicial scrutiny because everything's much more recent. It's not like you could, now you can't argue, well, 20 years ago, I was, uh, you know, a college student. I didn't really know what I was getting into. So I don't think it could hurt, but in places like Canada, it will definitely help. Canada's scary uh, through my lens for a number of reasons with prenups. One, in places, certain provinces, judges have the ability to modify a prenup to make it fair. I don't know of any other contract where a judge can say, you know, I don't really think this is fair. Uh, this is a life decision, and I'm going to decide how your life is going to be. Uh, usually, now places like California, the judges look to see if it was fair and reasonable at inception, and it can't be unconscionable at divorce. And I have a problem with that because unless there's a mechanism to take in front of a court where they could declare, yes, it's fair and reasonable at inception, how do you really know? You don't know until it's uh, litigated in divorce. And what's unconscionable? If you're Dr. Dre, if $2 billion net worth like is given a billion dollars away, unconscionable, or $100 million or whatever he ended up, I don't like that. It is, doesn't give clarity. There's no certainty to it. And I have a problem with that because a lot of times judges, whether they're elected or appointed, you know, I personally believe that the government wants to not take care of people the way that they probably could and should. They'd rather have the high asset person take care of the ex. They don't want, you know, I could see not wanting people on welfare. Sure. Yeah. But to strip away half of their uh, earnings and assets, that's just extreme. So what's the, um, what's the deal in Pennsylvania and New Jersey um, on common law? Because I've got a friend that's um, again, you know, Ontario special place in hell for family law when it comes to dealing with that stuff. Um, never got married, but he lived with a um, woman more than two years, uh, you know, bought a house, you know, um they lived together for a long time 10 years i think it was he's he's into his and i'm calling it a divorce because he never married her but he's into his untying the knot to, to a woman that he never married but lived with and bought some stuff together with uh four hundred thousand dollars at this point where does he live where is he domiciled ontario yeah that's crazy um you know now, Pennsylvania did away with common law marriages, as did New Jersey. Uh, the courts didn't want to deal with them anymore. And I don't blame the courts. I so personally. You can live together, not have children, and not be viewed as a marriage. Right. As long as you didn't start in Pennsylvania, as long as you didn't start living together before 2005, I think. Okay. Uh, so you could live together, no children, you're not married in order to get married or be viewed as married in a place like Pennsylvania or New Jersey, you got to get married. It's got to be a ceremony, take your vows. Got it. Uh, now I did a video. I haven't uploaded it yet. The state of Washington in the Pacific Northwest, they have a crazy law called the committed intimate relationship law where if you, this is crazy, but if you're living with someone, 
not married, and you are in a committed, intimate relationship with them, at breakup, they can sue you for assets that you guys acquired during the course of you living together. So it's like, and there's no rules. You could live together for a year. You could live together for three years. Um, and they look at certain things. And one of them is the sharing of expenses. And I talked about this in my short video. If you, if you move in, if your girlfriend moves in with you, you pay the mortgage, you pay the utilities, but she likes Netflix and you never watch Netflix and she buys the Netflix subscription. The courts look at that like she's contributing to the household. So they could find that you were in a committed, intimate relationship. They also look to see if the relationship was monogamous. So it's scary times. So how can you avoid finding yourself in a position of somebody suing you after living with them in the state of Washington? One good way would be to have a cohabitation agreement that specifically sets forth, we're not married and we don't want to be uh, judged under the laws of the state that says we're married. This is what I'll pay for. This is what you'll pay for. And all our assets will be separate. All our earnings will be separate. That doesn't mean that there could be a huge disparity in contribution, but you don't want to get tangled up with somebody who is bitter or angry after living together for a few years. So I hope other states don't adopt this committed intimate relationship law, but it's in the state of Washington right now. So I personally believe Ontario, again, very scary. A couple of years ago, I think we talked about that case, I think Littman's case, where the guy was a multimillionaire. He had a woman in his life who he wanted to marry, but wouldn't marry. They did not cohabitate continuously. She still had her own uh, place, and they still ordered him to pay spousal support or maintenance to her. I don't know, 60000 a month or something. Bizarre. It's insane. it's insane. And if you look her up, um, she's basically using that money to run a yoga studio that's not making it. It's basically burning through that. Yeah. It just seems to me that you should have the choice to decide whether or not you want to get married. It's not something that should be bestowed upon you by the government. Yeah. And Canada is just, I think, I hope it doesn't happen in my lifetime, but I see palimony next in Canada. I hope it doesn't happen because who would be in a relationship? I mean, it's like, look at the Littman's case. One more step is, yeah, I had a girlfriend and we spent a couple of nights together a week. And then, you know, then you're going to owe her. That is not fair, but you never know. What is the, what is the definition of palimony, please? It's just like your companion. You're, you travel together. You, uh, and I don't know of any places that have it. California, the old Marvin Mickelson case got overturned. I've heard uh, calimony somewhere else before. This is something I've not, it's not new. Right, right. It's been around a long time, but it's not been in the U.S. or Canada. Okay. You can't sue your boyfriend or girlfriend uh, for support. Um, and that's a good thing. I hope that it never happens. Uh, people, even if you're in a same-sex relationship or whatever, you know, that's just stepping out over the line, in my opinion. Uh, it, it's that it's not marriage. That should not put you on the hook. So, but uh, 
you know, I hope it's not coming anytime soon. I hope it's not in my lifetime. Um, I want to shift gears unless you have another question or somebody wants to jump on or. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, there was a case in, Fe in February in Pennsylvania, Orsini v. Orsini. It's an unpublished case. Uh, the guy gives his fiance a prenup the day before the wedding. Bad move. Bad move. I tell everybody, get that prenup done before wedding invitations are ordered. She had a history of cheating on him in this case. And uh, the day before the wedding, he gets her in his car, he drives her to his lawyer's office. And uh, the court set aside the prenup because she wasn't given a chance to consult with a lawyer of her choice, of her own, you know, her own lawyer. So, guys, if you're going to go Is on that the internet. Or something, what, what do they call that? Uh duress because they've you know they've booked the dj they have the hall reserved the invitations went out so she kind of had to do it yeah uh in pennsylvania that is not duress uh because you booked the hall they don't look at that as duress They're, the cases are clear on that i think the orsini case they even said yeah uh that that's not going to be duress because you made wedding plans because then every woman would do it. They say, Oh, I've got my dress and I got the band booked and I had to go through with this. No, what he did in this case is he didn't give her the opportunity to find her own lawyer. He gave it to her the day before the wedding. Yeah, so yeah. if you're a guy watching this, I uh, urge you in the strongest possible terms to get the prenup locked down before wedding invitations, preferably before you buy an engagement ring, because I've seen cases where the guy will buy a ring for 50 grand and then she won't want to sign the prenup and he tries to return the ring and he gets like $20,000 for it. All right. Be smart. Yeah, diamonds it. are very valuable if you try to sell them after the fact. You always pay way, way more for them to put it on her finger than what you get if she gives it back to you. Right. Um, Don't get caught up in all the hoopla and, and this. Uh, I know this isn't very romantic. Another thing that I find is that for some reason, I don't know why, guy can have, I had a guy with like over 20 rental properties that were totally all paid for. And he had really good businessman, smart, articulate, but he couldn't get the woman that he wanted to marry into the prenup conversation. Mm -hmm. He just wasn't able to bring it up. And I'm like, dude, Instead of having me draft your prenup and you giving it to her to sign, why don't you talk to her first? Because it's a waste to like have me go through and draft this long document and go through your assets and debts. You're going to have to get her assets and debts too. I'm going to staple them right to the document. You have to bring this up because if you don't, you're going to just keep going down this path then your wedding is going to be a month away and no one can get right your prenup that quickly and have it be uh, enforceable. So, so, so Jonathan, I got a guy waiting to ask a question. So, we're, so we'll do sure. the questions once you go through your hot topic list. So Aaron, stick around for a few minutes. We'll get to you in a couple of minutes. Um, Jonathan, what do you think about the notion of a postnuptial? Uh, I think it's a good idea. A lot of people, especially if they've been married before in order to protect their children from a prior marriage, we'll get a postnuptial agreement. 
So prenup, you present to them before the marriage, obviously, you know, long before the marriage. Postnup is really after you've had the honeymoon, the I do's, the party and all that, you know, you've moved in together. And it's really the same thing. It just says, yeah, you know, we've had the party and we still agree to everything. Right. A lot of times a postnup can really protect both people. Let's say you're a real estate investor and you want to buy a commercial property um, and you're married and the wife is not business savvy and you could really take a bath if you're not careful. You might want to have a postnup drafted that will separate her from this new investment of yours. So if there's upside, it's yours. If there's downside, the creditors can't go after her. Yeah. You know, so it's not only to protect you. It can also protect your spouse. It could also protect your children. Um, the problem is if you don't have a prenup and then the marriage is starting to get rocky and you ask your spouse to sign a postnup, you don't have any leverage because she could just say, no, you're already married me. You stuck. So I've yeah. seen that happen from time to time where. So if you say, oh, we'll sign a post-nup, don't worry about it. No, don't do that. Don't do that. You have no leverage. So you could always just call off the wedding. So they do have a useful purpose. All right. Um, what do we got next here? Uh, what we have next on the list is uh, talking about uh, uh, prenups. Now, in Costner's case, his wife, is making outrageous claims. Like she, at first she said she needed 200, uh, what, $219,000 a month in child support, which no one needs that kind of money. But, and then the judge on a temporary basis gave her 129,000. And then he ruled this past Friday, she'll get 60,000 a month in child support. So if he makes $20 million from his earnings, 60,000, a month isn't terrible. It's still a lot more than a child needs. There are some countries like Sweden, where I think they cap the child support at like a couple hundred dollars a month, because especially if the parents share custody. In the US and Canada, I believe, in most jurisdictions I'm familiar with, it's a factor of how much the couple earns, mm. which is ridiculous. Uh, it's just the way it is. I know why it's done that way. In the U.S., uh, in almost every jurisdiction, it's Title 4D, where the federal government matches dollar for dollar every dollar that the county takes in in child support uh, with federal funds. So that's not a good reason uh, to just use the uh, metric of somebody's earnings. But that's the way the system is. I don't see it changing anytime soon. Okay. Um. Two hundred nineteen thousand a month for three kids, and it's tax free. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And he has to pay. Yeah, and he pays. Sometimes when you hear this, you're like, you know, the balls on some people, right? Well, the problem is what she did illustrates beautifully the problem that I see too, on a smaller scale. People, she was like putting in her list of expenses, like plastic surgery. For $188,000. That's her plastic surgery. And it's not a monthly expense. She was putting in personal and trainer expenses. Uh, and hair expenses. And $14,000 for flowers a month. Those are not child related expenses. 
Now, what I see sometimes is people will just give a lump sum number. And even if they back out what they think or want to try to argue the child's expenses are, it's ridiculous. They lose all credibility. And it's just not fair. So in his case, it's so crazy. It's a good illustration. Uh, yeah, Friday was the last hearing where the judge ordered 60,000 in child support. Now she's going to try to set aside the prenup. And my understanding is that it was really well drafted, but he's in California, right? So what if he, what if they have a judge that says, you know, this wasn't fair and reasonable when you signed it 18 years ago. And it's kind of unconscionable now considering what he makes from Yellowstone. So I'm going to set it aside. That's the danger in California. Uh, places like Vancouver, same thing, man. They just say this isn't fair anymore. Like why even enter a contract that can be modified like that? It's bizarre. So They're saying that he's worth about $400 million online if you Google it. All right, so net worth four hundred million. How much of it was accrued more than eighteen years ago? So that would be out of the Merrill estate, by right there. Hopefully, in his prenup, all of those assets from the day before he got married are in that prenup. My ranch in Colorado is separate. My whatever he collects or whatever he does, he no longer has a private plane. Is my understanding. But any real estate holdings, any residuals that he gets from Field of Dreams or Dances with Wolves should be in that prenup saying, that's out, that's out. Um, so even though he has 400 million net worth, it's only really whatever came in in the last 18 years. Hopefully everything that uh, has accelerated in interest or appreciated in that 18 years Hopefully his lawyer wrote that out too, because if he didn't, it would become part of the marital estate uh, with his present wife or soon to be ex-wife. So they're going to fight over that prenup and either he'll give in or he'll negotiate an agreement, which is what her lawyers are going to want to do. They're going to want to like say, make him say uncle and give her a bigger payout. Cause I think his payout, was a million two hundred thousand uh, and two hundred thousand to buy a new house for a down payment, and my understanding was as soon as she filed, he just wrote her a check for that, and he did. The, I would have advised him to do the same thing. Yeah. Be a decent human being. This is what you agreed to. It shows the court that you're dealing in good faith. Give her her one point two million. Give her her two hundred thousand, um, and and be done with it. So. It's incredible. There was a guy in uh, who owned, I think, Continental Gas Company a few years ago, maybe eight years ago. He was worth, she said he was worth $4 billion. And he said, no, I'm only worth $2 billion. And So he wrote her a check for $980 million. The copy of the check was on the internet. And um, I think she cashed it or she put it... Uh, yeah, she didn't like actually cash it, but she put it in her own separate account and she wasn't able to uh, get the prenup set aside. And he was happy. He said, look, you know, I gave you half. Uh, be happy with that. And she still wanted to fight and it wasn't going to go anywhere. So mm -hmm. no matter what you give people, it's never enough.
Uh, I've never seen anybody have to go and take what the prenup gives them and not want to set it aside. That's even another reason. Don't skimp on getting a prenup done if you're getting married. Don't take them off the internet. I'm good at setting those aside. And a lot of times I'll tell the other lawyer who sends me the prenup, you're not going to litigate this, are you? And they're like, no. I explained to him that this is not worth the paper it's written on. It's going to get set aside. So word to the wise. If you can't spend a few thousand dollars and get the prenup properly drafted, properly executed, don't get married. Yeah, look, you're I, mean, ma if you're, I mean, if you're asking for a prenup, it's because you have assets to protect. So spend oh. the money and get a proper prenup if you're if you're if you're hell bent on getting married. I mean, right. You guys I, know me. You know, I say smart men don't get married. So right. The other person that should get a prenup, it's not only if you've accrued assets. If you're a fourth yeah, year, so if you're a fourth year ophthalmology resident or a surgery resident, okay, and you're married and you make sixty thousand dollars a year in your fourth year of residency. Uh, and next year you're going to make a million dollars a year and open your own surgery center, you need a prenup. You have nothing. You're negative net worth because you might have 300 grand in uh, medical school debt, but you're going to get a credential that's going to give you that kind of income, get a prenup. Also, if you're ambitious and you're an entrepreneur, it can't hurt. You can always modify the prenup yourself if you decide, or if your prenup says, you know, I'm going to give wife a hundred thousand uh, dollars if we're married five years and you, your company goes public and you're worth $500 million. You don't have to give her a hundred thousand dollars. You can give her a lot more. There's nothing that says you can't be generous, more generous than the prenup. It's there for protection. So if you're a fourth year resident or you're a medical student or a law student or whatever, or you're going into a profession where earning potential is extremely high, or if you're, you have the skill sets to make a lot of money and you, you could have, I have a really good friend that has an office cleaning business. He cleans offices in these towers. He probably has 50 guys working for him, if not more. And uh, they wash windows in, in tall buildings. That guy's a perfect example. I mean, just has tremendous wealth. You'd never know it, uh, and you wouldn't think it. But you could just be a smart entrepreneur and make a lot of money. You could look at Mr. Beast on YouTube, okay? I don't know what his exact earnings are, but come on. He needs a prenup too. You know, it, and now he's got a lot of money, but who, who would have thought that 10 years ago? So, um, Jonathan, we've got about 30 minutes and I want to save about 10 for our call in question. Um, so I'll let you decide what um, what items are priority to talk to everybody about. Yeah, I mean, I'll talk to anybody, uh, you know, and give you some insight about things that I see through my lens. Um, I want to talk about two things really quickly that are important that people don't know about. One is something called a vanishing credit in divorce, you own a house, you invite your girlfriend in to live with you, you marry her. 10 years goes by and she files for divorce. You're still living in the same house, your house, pre-marriage. In a lot of jurisdictions, 
the value of that house is going to come into the marital estate, even though you owned it before you got married. It's what's known as a vanishing credit, where all that value over time goes away over time. And how can you avoid having that happen? Prenuptial agreement says, this is my asset. I had it before the wedding and it's mine in the event of divorce. I've also written prenups where uh, you could say that if we sell the house and I keep the proceeds separately and use it for a down payment and it's not commingled, it's mine in the event of divorce. So something you ought to think about. Second thing is, if you have a business partner and they're getting married, they need a prenup. Why? Because they could marry a woman or another man, same sex, I've seen it, and it will wreak havoc on your partnership where they're going through the books under a microscope and they want they are vindictive. So word to the wise, if you're in a partnership or a form one LLC with somebody, be careful. S Corp, where you're giving them stock and they're getting married, you're going to get hamstrung possibly and you don't want that. So that's all I got on it. You want to um, talk about some of the advice you have here in these points about betting for a spouse? About what? I'm sorry? About betting for a spouse. You got some really good talking points here on this email that you sent me about betting for a spouse and red flags, attachment styles. I think yeah. there's a ton of value in you going through this first. So yeah, maybe take I, like 15, 20 minutes and, and hit on those and then we'll take the call in. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Through my lens as a divorce lawyer, in over 90% of divorce nasty divorce cases, uh, one of two things are present. Somebody has a personality disorder, okay? Narcissistic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, um, histrionic, you know, or they have an un untreated mental health issue. Uh, that is one of two things. The other thing is, is uh, their attachment style, right? People's attachment styles, and you should go down the rabbit hole if you've never heard of this. There's four types of attachment style. There's secure attachment style. There's uh, avoidant, dismissive, avoidant attachment style. There's fearful attachment style. Uh, you don't, there's anxious attachment style. So unless you're secure or your partner is secure, you're going to be in a world of hurt. All these attachment styles develop from infancy to about five years old. And what happens is somebody has a caretaker that is not really there for them, whether they have a drug problem or alcohol problem, or they're just not present. And the child never really is able to be their own person. They're always afraid. They can't go too far away because the person, their caretaker isn't doing a good job taking care of them. So they don't develop right. And what happens is in adulthood, they never shake this problem. So for example, um, if you're a, if you marry a dismissive avoidant person, they're going to stonewall you. Uh, you're going to walk into a room and you're going to get a cold shoulder and they're going to say, I'm fine. Everything's okay. Just what do you, why do you think that something's wrong? And they're, they're going to pull away emotionally and physically. 
don't marry them because you are going to be in constant up and down and through no fault of your own, you're going to be on eggshells. So if you're dating someone that pulls away a lot or they're not all in and you feel that you haven't done anything wrong, but they have these feelings and fears that get in the way of having a truly great connection, go down the rabbit hole. The chances are this all started in their childhood. Uh, anxious attachment style. This person is preoccupied with problems and issues that don't really exist. They also pull away, but they come back. So it's like this push-pull cycle. It will drive you nuts. And if you marry them, you know, how can you really be happy living under the same roof? You never know what you're going to be walking into. They're anxious because their caregiver did not focus in on their needs as they were developing. There's a whole school of psychology on this. And if you don't know about it, you don't know what to look for. You just think, oh, all women are like that or all people are like that. No, they're not. No, they're not. And it's only going to be a matter of time if you don't vet carefully to have a situation where you can't take it anymore. I mean, life is short. And if you are constantly having to second guess what it is you're doing wrong with the person that you're married to, you're going to drive yourself crazy. Um, so, and I don't want that. I want to keep you out of my office and I want you to go live your best life. Uh, are, these, fearful are, these, are these attachment cells something that you've seen pop up over and over again in your practice? Uh, dismissive, avoidant, anxious attachment, fearful. Yeah. You know, I'll listen to somebody's story and it could be a man or a woman. Uh, and when I get into the nitty gritty of what's really going on, I always ask divorce clients, is there any way this marriage can be saved? Because that would be, especially if they have kids, right? Most good divorce lawyers are going to ask that question, right? If, if it's just something stupid that they're fighting over, yeah. you ask them to get counseling, especially if there are kids, like we're not looking to get you divorced, but yes. And once I learned about these attachment styles, the healthy ones secure and the unhealthy ones, um, it comes up on repeat all the time. So, you know, sometimes people's fears outweigh their feelings and they get in a place where they just need to detach. The problem is when they detach for all the time, like a constant, I'm okay, I have to detach. I'm okay, I have to detach. That's a problem that I see in high conflict divorces. And all of these problems started from infancy to five years old when they were trying to bond with their caretaker. If you look at little kids, you know, they'll go away from their mom or dad, but they'll always look back, look back. Uh, and if the caretaker's there, they get that confidence that they can conquer the world. I always like, I always say like, nothing's more powerful than a five-year-old in a Superman costume. You know, they can like do anything. But if their parent isn't consistent and they're not there, they bring that to adulthood and they don't let the relationship bloom and flourish. And then eventually the other partner, if they have that too, it's a recipe for disaster. If yeah. the other partner is secure, they can be patient, 
but it's not the best life that they're living. And eventually they say, this is crazy. A lot of times the person will withdraw emotionally and intimately. So any sort of intimacy is inconsistent at best because the other person's preoccupied with things that they shouldn't be preoccupied with, but they can't help it. So not to play blame on people, it's just the attachment style is a huge issue and something you should vet for. So you're looking for narcissistic personality disorder, histrionic, uh, someone that can't take responsibility for their own uh, station in life. That's one. Or untreated mental health issues, somebody that is very seriously depressed and will not seek treatment. There's no shame in that. I mean, there's modalities to help that. And then the attachment style, if you see someone drifting away. And, you know, the overarching thing is you have to be able to trust the other person too. Without trust, there's really nothing there to build on. So trust is a given. Without that, there's no discussion, really. You're not going to marry someone you don't trust. But these attachment styles are prevalent. And if you're aware of them, you could go down the rabbit hole. There's a ton of information about it. I think it was started by a psychologist in the 1950s. And it rings true in divorce court. I see it all the time where now if you have two people who are uh, have bad attachment styles, both dismissive, you're not getting anywhere. Uh, it will never, if you have kids with them, if you have kids with each other, the kids are going to be in the middle of that. It's not healthy. It's better to stay single, work on your issues, recognize it, and then, you know, get into a relationship if that's what you really want. So Mm. Um, that that's kind of it on my attachment style sermon. I uh, yeah, another another really good points, and I haven't I haven't talked about attachment styles before, and I've come across this stuff at least a few times in the past year, and and I've looked at it, and it, and it looks interesting, but it's like, you know, I get to the point where it's like, okay, you know, I've identified the red flags, I, you know, that popped up over and over again during consults, during call-ins, you know, made a bunch of notes. That's you know, it's pretty clear that. You know, you're going to invite a degree of chaos in your life, and I'm sure that the attachment styles are correlated to some degree with the red flags or the dangerous personality types like psychopathy or narcissism or are intermingled in there. So it's like you really have your work cut out for you when it comes to vetting a partner for marriage and, and understanding the slaughterhouse of family law that you generally walk into. I mean, it's better. It's it's better in some places. It's not so much. You know. You know, Here's, yeah. Great other places. And, uh, yeah, go ahead. One of the other things, too, is I don't like, I don't. So, we've actually talked about this probably in every single conversation we've had, Jonathan. And I know that you're in a long term relationship and you've got a gal. You still with her? Yeah. But you don't live together. No, we don't. Every single lawyer that I've, that I've ever talked to that practices in family law is involved with a gal, but they don't live together. They, they don't think it's a good idea to live together for a whole slew of reasons. Um, you know who Dr. Orion Taraban is? Yes, yes. I've seen his videos. I think you uh, were on with him. Yeah, I had him on my uh, podcast uh, in the last couple of months, and he has a video titled, Give Her the Gift of Your Absence, right? And it's like a little bit of that distance is good in the relationships i mean like the notion of of getting married and exposing your assets and all of these things but i get it you know there's there, there's peaceful there's sorry there's, there's people out there that have a cultural attachment to the idea of marriage they have a romance 
novel in their head around marriage. They, you know, whether it's cultural, uh, you know, societal, you know, religious, you know, whatever it happens to be. And in theory, it's sweet, but it, <laughs> look at the numbers, you know, 50% of the time it doesn't work out that way, right? Yeah, more than 50% uh, of the time it doesn't work out. I don't even talk to my uh, partner on the phone very often during the week or I don't, unless it's important, she can always call me. She can shoot me a text. Sometimes she'll shoot me a text and say, can you talk for a minute? But I don't talk to her every day. I don't even talk to her most days because yeah. when we're, I'd rather save that for when we're together. Now, yeah. if she has a question, uh, certainly a legal question, I'm definitely of course, I'll talk to her. I want to talk to her. Uh, or if there's something that needs to be spoken, but, and then that creates an environment where there's a, the desire is so much more, where we're not in touch that much. And maybe it gives us a chance to miss each other. So I recommend it, but it's not for everybody. Uh, it's not the only relationship I've had where we don't live together. The uh, women that I dated prior to her we they they lived in New York City and I live in Philadelphia, so we would take the train back and forth, uh, and it was the same thing. We didn't talk on the phone a lot, uh, unless it was important or necessary, and it's really the way to go. I loved it, and I yeah. I, I like that. So yeah, like I you know it's funny because I mean if you think about it because there's I mean it's usually women that press for the uh, comfort and the safety of a live-in type of relationship that can turn into cohabitation that can turn into common law that can turn into marriage whatever but they don't realize that they're that like there's nobody that they could take a look at in their circle where they could say yeah things got better for them after they lived together got married you know all that stuff um things don't generally improve from the romance perspective things might improve for them financially um, you know, there's other ways that your life might improve, but from the romance, from the intimacy perspective, which if, if you're big on that, give her the gift of your absence, you know, have a little bit of distance between you two. Right. I will tell you in my own situation in February, March, April of 2020, there was a lockdown, right? For right. nine and a half weeks, my girlfriend lived with me in my house. That's the longest we've ever been together. I and it worked. Thing too, yeah. It worked out great uh, because we didn't know what the hell was going on with the world. Um, and it gave us a chance to spend a lot of time together under the same roof. And honestly, it was bliss. It was really bliss. So much to the point where now, like if we want to go to Europe, we went to Europe together a few months ago, spent a lot of time together. I knew it was going to be a success based on all those weeks we spent together in 2020. So, you know what? We, we could still live separate and apart, but just during that time, uh, during the pandemic, it was great to have a great partner. So, yeah. Um, I'm just going to run an ad reel here. It takes about two minutes and then we'll take our call in. Right. Um, so I'm just going to put this insert in. We'll be back. Actually, it's a minute, 43 seconds, but we'll be back shortly. 
This episode is brought to you by the Unplugged Alpha Supplements and Grondike Soap Company. Brothers, if you're like me and you take what you put in your body seriously, you'll want to use the Unplugged Alpha Supplements. An obsession with absorption is what sets this line apart from the others. You want to make sure that you absorb as much of the supplements as possible so you don't end up peeing out expensive urine. My supplement line is made in the United States from the highest quality domestic ingredients. And unlike cheaper supplements from China and plastic bottles, Mine ship in dark glass bottles to keep your supplements fresher, longer, and won't seep endocrine disrupting plastics into your supplements. Nothing is a hard tablet. Everything is in an easily digestible, bioavailable capsule. You can filter all products by various categories, including testosterone support, estrogen metabolism, fat burning, immune health, sleep support, and performance. Visit theunpluggedalpha.com forward slash shop and use the subscribe and save option to get 10% off your supplement orders or use coupon code alpha10 for 10% off a one-time order to try it out. Then I use tactical soap and God of War beard oil every day. Tactical soap is a handmade product made in the United States from ingredients you can actually pronounce, not conventional endocrine lowering toiletry chemicals. Both the soap and the beard oils are infused with bioidentical pheromones that are designed by a clinical psychologist and pheromone expert to maximize attractiveness to the opposite sex. Go visit coopersoap.com and get 10% off your order today. Guys, check out my website at richcooper.ca for more information on booking me for coaching, my community, my courses, and a whole bunch more. You can also find all the useful links pinned below in the top YouTube comment of all my videos. Now let's get on with the show. All right, so let's get uh, Aaron in here in one sec. I, sorry, I, I have to deal with this because Alpha T is out of stock and I know that some people are on the subscribe and save um raw materials for my supplements they sometimes become unavailable because of the nature of the uh the product so uh it should be back in the warehouse in the next week to 10 days so just keep checking back on the site uh if you're on the subscribe and save model it'll get shipped out as soon as it's back in the warehouse but heads up on that so let's grab aaron here and see what he's got for us uh add to stream aaron you have a question for jonathan yeah just basically the uh question uh put in the comments um wife and i are meeting with a mediator this uh next week or so and uh, she put in the separation agreement that she's the uh, primary caregiver and yet she's the breadwinner like to me that doesn't doesn't make sense could you kind of explain that to me what where are you what jurisdiction are you in uh, i'm in uh winnipeg manitoba canada uh, there you go um <laughs> All right, I'm licensed in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. I don't know what uh, separation agreement, how much teeth it has. Is it going to be submitted to the court to be made in order of court? Uh, I mean, you're going to want to ask your mediator that. Do you have legal counsel? Because there'll be someone local in Winnipeg is going to be in a better position to give you guidance around a mediation agreement. Is it a memorandum of understanding? Is it, uh, I mean, I'd want to know that. Is it something that is going to be made part of your divorce decree? Uh, some mediation uh, in some jurisdictions, Pennsylvania, New Jersey come to mind. I mean, just because you have a mediation drawn up or written up or a memorandum of understanding, that's not set in stone. That doesn't mean it's just a step in order to flesh out the issues. So if that's what it is in Winnipeg and you should talk to your lawyer, do you have a lawyer in Winnipeg? No, I don't. But it's from what I understand, the mediator is um, 
not combative. So they're basically working for both sides. Right. Yeah. Versus a lawyer. So this is basically collaborative law, Jonathan. Right. It's, it's a it's like option three here, where you know you can sit down and they're not technically supposed to represent anybody. You're supposed to collaborate with both both parties, but she's already like starting this from a disingenuous, you know, position by stating in the offer or you know whatever the first draft is that um, she's going to be the custodial parent, which basically means that you get the screw over daddy deal. Uh, which is usually like every other weekend on a Wednesday night for dinner. She gets to make all the decisions. If she wants to move, she can do that. She wants to hyphenate the kid's last name. She can do that. She can make medical choices without your consent. She can do that. Right. So it's like you want a shared parenting plan. You don't want to let the other parent become the custodial parent because that, because that's not just, you don't see your kid as much. It's you don't see your kid as much and she can do a lot of stuff without asking for your consent stuff as well. Right. Uh, I, I would definitely make sure that whatever you agree to, you're not going in blind. I, is there any reason why she should be the primary caretaker? Can you take care? How many kids do you have? Just the one. How old? Nine. Um, is she the breadwinner? I think you said that she's a breadwinner in the private chat. Yeah. yeah uh, so ah, so that, I'll, I'll tell she you doesn't want to pay you child support. support. Yeah, she doesn't want to pay you child support. That's what this is really all about. Mm -hmm. Are you comfortable taking care of the nine-year-old? Totally. Uh, I, you, I have been so far. Are you going to all the parenting? Are you doing most of the parenting right now? Yeah. So if you're doing most of the parenting right now, then a precedent has already been set, and she's trying to change that. Right. I wouldn't allow her to do that. Uh, you, it sounds to me like you're the primary caretaker. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ever <laughs> since the get-go, yeah. How, how long have you been separated? We haven't separated yet. It's it's a it's a meeting with a mediator to um, um, for um, for the separation agreement to put separation in place. All right. So have you met, you haven't met with the mediator yet? Not yet. In the next week, week and a half. All right. So your your soon to be ex drew up the mediation agreement and shared it with you to tell you this is what I'm bringing into the mediator. Yeah. Is it is it just a bunch of bullet points that she made on what she's looking for? Uh, yeah. Or is it an actual like legal agreement? No, it's it's an actual agreement. There's several pages of it. So. So she's consulted with a lawyer. So so. Oh, definitely. She's yeah, a few I, steps ahead of you, my friend. Yeah, it sounds that way. I would definitely not agree to it. Why on earth she doesn't want to pay child support? That's the issue here. The only one I could see. Uh. Why should she be the primary caretaker for the nine-year-old? Hey, no. it, it doesn't make any sense. Um, do you guys live near each other? <laughs> You're still in so far we're in the same house. <laughs> like, yeah, you want to stay in the same house until you have an arrangement. Oh, yeah. 100%. I, uh, in 2020, when all this uh, great stuff was happening, uh, I had more than my... Um, um, reason to up and leave, but I, I was reading in an old CAA uh, by the law book saying if I would have left, I would have been charged for a desertion. It would be a desertion charge, and that would just totally screw me over. So I just stuck it out, and I'm trying to find my way, so to speak. Well, if, if, if you go before a judge in your province, and you've been the been doing most of the parenting, like you've been taking the kid to swimming lessons and 
school plays and doing the homework with them and all that stuff. And she's been working. Uh, and I'm guessing she makes more money than you for calling her the breadwinner, yep. which yep. it puts her in an incredibly bad bargaining position when it comes to dealing with the law in Winnipeg. So, I mean, you saying that I'll do a shared parenting plan with you is a gift to her. Uh, like what Jonathan's saying is you should really be going for the primary custody. And I think that you probably get it, you know, to be honest with you. So if you wanted to be the primary caregiver of your kid and you give her the screw over mommy deal, you could probably end up with the custody, you know, of the child and you'll get every other weekend off and she can do dinners with that child on Wednesday nights and child support will flow to you because you'll have the kid most of the time and she'll be earning the bread. Like she's in a very, very bad bargaining position. So she's trying to take advantage of you, my friend. I agree with what Rich said a hundred percent. Um, she's trying to railroad you and here's a problem. If you go she's along trying, with it, she's doing it. <laughs> yeah. Here's your problem. Well it's, well, it's because you're letting her, but, but you don't know any better. Like she's done her homework, right? Like she's talked to somebody for sure. Yeah. I figured this would be a best time to come on board to get some uh, advice from John. So yeah, get, get local legal counsel. I can't give you specific legal advice if you're in Winnipeg, yep. but she's setting you up because once that is, if you agree to it, then she's going to argue, we want to keep the status quo because my nine-year-old child's doing so well. Why would the judge change it now? Yeah. Don't let that happen. Get off on the right foot, all right? Fair I'm enough. a little bit nervous for you because if she's trying to do this, what else is she trying to do? Oh, Stay in the marital house, right? Have you gone through my divorce course? No. It's like, it's like 200 bucks. It's like four hours worth of content. And I, and I spent a lot of time sitting down with my personal family lawyer going over the main stuff. So it's more geared towards Canada. A lot of the stuff that we covered here is in the course, but there's some other stuff and the psychology of divorce when you're dealing with her within time and not a lot of concepts. I would grab it. Like it's, it's pinned in the top comment of all my videos. Um, there's a lot of insight there, but definitely like don't sign anything un until you've talked to a family lawyer because you you need to understand what you're marching into here. Cause if you agree to this yeah. or you let her have, you know, the child most of the time, it's not because she cares more about the child. I can promise you. I mean, she obviously cares about the child cause she's the mother. Exactly. Yes. Like, you know, exactly where it's, 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 it's not just this, it's not just this, but it's also this it's control. It's pulling the puppet strings. Right. Okay. Yeah. I would definitely try if I were a lawyer, I would try to make sure I have a comprehensive, custody schedule for holidays and travel who's going to hold the passport and all the things that are going to come up, especially, I mean, I don't know you're li living separate and apart under the same roof right now. So, right. Uh, so far we're still married and we're under the same roof. currently. Right. But you, you don't have to answer this. Do you sleep together? <laughs> Not for many a year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had cases where people haven't slept together for over 10 years. And uh, it's more common than not. So you're living separate and apart under the same roof. Uh, I hope that she's uh, kind, especially with the kids around, and you guys can at least be civil to each other. We're but trying be, to make it work, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, be a gentleman about it, but be firm. Don't don't dig your heels in on stuff like this because they're hard to mm -hmm. change after a while. In some jurisdictions, could be in Alberta, you might have the burden to show 
that there's been a substantial change in circumstances to change child custody schedules or uh, or vacation schedule or you'd have to prove that it's in the best interest of the child to change it. So if you give her primary custody off the bat, the burden of proof shifts to you. If you file the petition to modify child custody, you want primary custody off the bat. All right. Especially if you're capable, if you work from home and she doesn't, I don't know what your work situation is, or if she travels a lot and you don't for work, you're the slam dunk primary physical custodian, you know? So you could be in a very, very good position after the divorce is done. If you're the primary caregiver and like you get to raise your son, you know, you don't have to worry about uh, money because she's a breadwinner. Like, you know, in most scenarios, it's women that typically marry up to a more wealthy guy. And I've told guys, you know, if you're going to get married, one of the things that you'd want to look at is try to, I mean, if you're going to do it, get involved with a woman that's at your same level at the very least. I mean, if she's ahead of you, even better, because family law is written to protect the person that makes less money, which is usually the woman, because women marry up. Uh, but you're in a unique position where you could really take advantage of Canadian family law. And I'm not saying do do this to be an asshole or take advantage of, you know, family law. Like, the the right thing to do is to give, in in my opinion, give the child equal access to both parents. If you want the child to have good access to both parents. So when one parent's like, well, I want the child 90% of the time, in my opinion, that parent's a real asshole, right? Because they're depriving the other parent and the child time together, which is something that they need, right? So I'm not saying do that, but it's within your capabilities at this point in time to do that if you wanted to. It would be best if you could co-parent with her. Yeah. Uh, that'd be the best for you and the kid. And even if you're primary uh, custodian, and I didn't even ask you what sex the child is, but Rich said uh, son. So even if it's a daughter and you're capable, a nine-year-old, I don't know what the law is in uh, Winnipeg, but in Pennsylvania, it's sex blind. You know, uh, it doesn't matter what the sex of the child is, unless the mother's breastfeeding. But after that, the father has just as much right to have custody of the kid. Yeah, it's the same uh, thing in Canada. It's, you know, like unless it's a small child, then it doesn't really matter. So, so Aaron, does that help? Do you have a final question before we wrap up? Because we've got like two minutes and we got to wrap up the show. Yeah, just one quick uh, last one, Rich. Um, okay. uh, legal aid, uh, what's your uh, view on that? I've, yeah. All right. So, you mean like public, like uh, a public lawyer, legal aid lawyer? Yeah. That's probably now a lot of jurisdictions won't take family uh, divorce cases, legal aid. Uh, they focus on criminal defense. They focus on wills. They focus on elder care. But if if you can afford a private attorney, that's where you're going to get value because these are life decisions that you're going to have. I don't know any like high end, very skilled, experienced divorce lawyers who work in legal aid. It's usually less experienced lawyers. Hmm. They're still good advocates, but if it, you you have child custody issues and divorce issues, uh, I'm not sure how much of the economics are going to be worked out too with, with a mediator. So if that's it, uh, complicated, you're going to want to find somebody that has experience and has the ability to go from one being the nicest person in the world, consensus builder, to ten the biggest asshole bulldog in the world. And I told my clients, I'll go one or 10. Let's see what the other side wants to do. 
uh, especially if I don't know the lawyer well on the other side. So you want someone that can like handle the other side and everything that's being thrown your way and bark back when it's necessary. So, and stay focused on the finish line because that's really the goal, not to have all your savings drained by this process. So, uh, but with child custody, it could be hard to change if you give in early and you seem like a nice guy, just a few minutes for talking. I don't want you to get railroaded. So don't get railroaded. Well, there's, there's nothing wrong with being a nice guy, but nice guys get destroyed in family court. So there's a time and place for chivalry, like family law is not it. Right. Somebody just wrote in the comments, make or pay for your lawyer. I could tell you that if there's a huge disparity of income and assets, if she has a big inheritance or she makes 10x what you make uh, in the divorce complaint, at least in the jurisdictions I'm familiar with and practice in, there's a count for counsel fees. And almost always you'll get some of your counsel fees, if not all of them, especially if she wants to turn a divorce into a rodeo where you're running after her for documents and information. So you're, that's why you need a good lawyer uh, uh, in your corner. If you hire a great lawyer, she's not going to mess around uh, unless she's stupid. All right. The best it's, fight is no fight. It's it's three fifty an hour for for a decent you know family lawyer. Uh, so I can't see this you know, which is nothing. And asking you know like you know she's a breadwinner. Is this something that I can force her to pay for? You know like if you have to so. You know, like I said, there's a time and place for your uh, chivalry. But, you know, when you're getting divorced, this is not the time for it. Right. Who pays for the mediator in your jurisdiction? In the jurisdictions I practice, it's split unless somebody's really poor. I can't answer that. <laughs> Who chose the mediator? She did. Yeah, yeah uh -huh. that's a problem. Yeah. You should. That should be a joint decision. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you feel like the mediator isn't 100% neutral... 100% neutral. Pick another mediator because you're going to go too far along and you're going to find yourself acquiescing to every little thing and it adds up. Don't do that to yourself. Do your homework. Get somebody in your corner right off the bat uh, because they'll know that what your wife is asking for is never going to fly in front of a judge. Yeah. That's what you want. All right. Um, we got to get a move on because we got the Ladies Night podcast up in 15 minutes. I know there's other people waiting to hop in, but guys, the link was there the entire show. If you guys want to do uh, Q&A, please uh, be sure to hop in earlier in the show so you get an opportunity to uh, chop it up. Jonathan can be found on his YouTube channel, which is tagged in the title of this video. Uh, you can also find him on Twitter. He's working on some interesting projects, uh, which you will hear about in the future. Um, and if you need a family lawyer in Pennsylvania or New Jersey, this is where he's licensed. Definitely uh, hit him up. And my divorce course is pinned in the top comment of all my videos. It is everything I have learned. It is everything I have done. Like it is, it is a big part of, of uh, the content that I've put out in my channel. And it's not expensive, guys. It's like $197. Like it's, it'll cost you $350 to talk to a lawyer for an hour. And there's hours and hours of content in there. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a licensed legal professional, but I've talked to lots of them. Uh, and I've spent a lot of time with my personal family lawyers. So you, I guarantee you're going to get a lot of value out of it. And it's, it's what you want to go through before you untie the knot. Like you have women spend a great deal of time planning the untying of the knot. 
guys, they, they really don't. They'll spend more time researching the fuel economy of their next car than what they will trying to figure out how to get divorced. So put some thought into it so that you don't get railroaded like Jonathan was just talking about there. Great advice. Great advice. John, thanks for joining me again. Stick Loved around for it. minutes when we're off the air. And um, 15 minutes, we're on Ladies Night, guys. So same channel. We'll see you thanks, there. everybody. Still honest. It's trying to end, but it's not ending. <laughs>